It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. If you are watching this episode on YouTube, you may have noticed that my background looks a little bit different, and that's because I am at my parents' home in Massachusetts. We are recording this episode on September 15th, 2021, and I last week, almost a week ago actually, finished a cross-country road trip, which I did last year. We, we did a few episodes on my big cross-country trip in 2020, which we will link to in our show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. If you haven't visited the podcast section of our website before, we have all sorts of links and transcripts and videos and everything all in one place to make it really easy for you. And if you want to binge listen to any related episodes, they'll be linked there for you. And it's interesting to be back here because we did record some episodes last year, but we weren't doing video at that time. So you couldn't see where I was. <laughs> and Jason was saying how it looks like I'm in like a cozy cabin. My parents actually live in a home that, gosh, I, I don't know when it was built. A while ago. I don't know if it was 200 years ago. I, I'm not very good with like historical numbers like that, but maybe 150 years old. I could have sworn that I had a conversation with them years ago where they told me it was 18 something. I might that, be totally off on that, but that sounds right. about right. Yeah. Yeah, that could be right. Anyways, it's an old house and that's why it looks very cozy. I'm in this little room that is basically a closet, but it's I've converted it into my <laughs> workroom, my desk area. It is actually very hot in here at the moment. So it's not fully comfortable, which is kind of odd given that it's fall, but we've had really wonderful weather. I digress. I did this big trip. It was wonderful. I feel like I still haven't fully reflected on it, which is really interesting. I remember during the trip, just feeling like I was like experiencing it and it was wonderful, but it's like my brain couldn't fully process that it was happening. And I also remember like right before I started the trip thinking something similarly, like, am, am I really about to do this trip? And one of the big things that made this trip different than last year is that I drove by myself. Last year, I did the trip with our Jason and my mutual friend, Leanne, and she was actually in one of the episodes that we're going to link to. And I remember too, when Leanne and I had talked about driving cross country, I was very excited about the idea, but also like nervous about it. And this year I was immensely excited to do the trip again. Like I could not wait because there's a very specific feeling that I get when I'm traveling and something about road trips have just deeply resonated with me. And I was really looking forward to it, but I, I started to feel anxious as I got closer to the date. And I was, I had these moments. I'm like, I want to do this, but like part of me like doesn't know if I should. And like, it's really interesting that that psychological journey when you're about to do something big because it feels a bit like a risk, you know? And certainly driving long distances is risky. And this, <laughs> funny enough, one of the audiobooks I was listening to, one that I actually might be something I'm going to reference later on, but I'm not sure if it was in this book or not, but one of them that I listened to was talking about like how, you know, versus our big fears about flying, for example, which is very common for people. You are, you have a much higher risk of death or a major accident in your car. And here I am like driving down the road, 80 miles per hour, listening to this. I'm like, oh yeah, like <laughs> I feel safer right now driving because flying gives me a lot of anxiety, as I've kind of mentioned in some episodes. COVID and just like the tension I feel being in this plane with all these strangers and all the, the things like it feels so chaotic flying, whereas like I feel so much peace driving. Anyways, I got the confidence to drive cross country by myself because last year 
after Leanne and I drove to the East Coast, when I drove back to Los Angeles, I couldn't find anyone to drive with me. So I kind of was left with <laughs> no choice but to do it by myself. And I talked about this last year too. There's another episode in which I share how many people were concerned about me doing that trip by myself. And it was interesting because I felt like I wasn't that fearful until other people brought it to my attention. Just like when I heard the statistic on the audiobook, I was like, oh, shoot, like I wasn't that afraid to drive. I wasn't really thinking how risky it was. And now, like, here are the statistics. And last year, so many people were just concerned about a woman traveling by herself. And I found that really fascinating. And I did some research and basically, the best advice was to follow your intuition and make sure that you're paying attention to your surroundings. And I was doing all those things and I didn't have any trouble. It was really lovely. And the same thing was true with the trip that I just finished. I felt hyper aware this time though. Like it was, it was like I wanted to be ultra prepared for anything. And <laughs> a kind of a side note, but also tied into this. I ended up buying bear spray when I was in Montana because I've never been to Montana before. And I was going into Glacier National Park where there are grizzly bears and bears are very common there. I mean, like it was remarkable how frank people were. They're like, yep, there are bears here and you could get hurt. <laughs> you know, like it's just like very matter of fact. So it clearly happens frequently. And and my friends told me I didn't really need bear spray because I wasn't going on any of the trails, but that ended up changing. So I bought some. And when I bought it, the guys that sold it to me said, hey, well, the good news is if you don't use it on a bear, you could use it to protect yourself from people too. And I was like, oh my gosh, Like now I have this big can of bear spray that I'm carrying in my car to either use on a human being or a bear or any other animal. And I just thought like, this is so interesting. And my friends were like, do you have a gun? And I was like, I don't even know how to shoot a gun. And like, should I learn how to shoot a gun? Or should I carry one? Like, I don't know how I feel about that. And where this starts to become really interesting and something, Jason, I'm doubting that you heard about, but I'm curious if you have. And something that's very timely to the day that we're recording this. Again, this is mid-September 2021. By the time this episode comes out, this information is definitely going to change. At least I hope. I guess there's like a 90% chance that There'll be new information out about it, but it's also possible there won't be. And that is the case of this couple that went traveling across the country and one of them is now missing. And it was a young couple. I know the girl, her name is Gabby Patino, I think is how you pronounce her name. She is 22 years old and she and her boyfriend who she'd been living with, I think in Florida, decided to get a van and travel around the country. And we've talked a bit about van life before. Of course, we've talked a lot about road tripping and it's something that's become a big trend. Now, for me, I wasn't in a van. I was in a car and I was by myself this time. And it's interesting, this story as it's developing, which I'll get into in a moment, because I think a lot of people assume that if you're with someone else, you're safer. And if you're a woman and you're with a guy, you're even safer than like if you're with another woman, right? But this case is interesting because this girl was with fairly long-term boyfriend and now people are suspecting that he might have been involved in her disappearance. And they, at this time of the recording, do not know what's happened to her. The other thing, the reason this hits close to home for me is that the last time they heard from her was actually like a few days before I got to the very area where she disappeared. So I didn't hear about this. The news broke on September 11th of this year. And I remember hearing about it from my mom and thinking like, oh, it's probably fine. Like, maybe just some fear-mongering story than the media was putting out. But over the last few days, so many people are talking about this case and it's like building up into this like disturbing story that again, as of this time, I don't know what's going to happen. And perhaps we'll follow up in a future episode, but it's interesting to record so far in advance because by the time someone's listening, you may, you're going to have different details if you've been following this story. And it brought up some things for me. So she disappeared in Grand Teton National Park. And I think the last time they heard from her was like the last week of August. And I got to Grand Teton 
either like August, gosh, I have to look this up. I think I left Los Angeles on the 28th. So I might've been there either on like the 29th or 30th, I suppose. Right. So it's so eerie to look back. I'm like, gosh, like, what if like I cross paths with this couple, you know, or, you know, could I have done something to help? Had I known the story, could I have looked for, you know, and it's so interesting to be somewhere where something mysterious happens because it's like you feel connected to it and yet completely helpless. Right. And also they're making their way to Yellowstone. There's a, another part of the story that's really fascinating to me that I might share later, but I went to Yellowstone from Grand Teton. So it's like, it's almost like thinking about like, this could have been me. Right. And what if everybody's right about like it being unsafe to travel as a woman? And Jason, remember this episode that we did talking about how like I felt frustrated that people were so afraid for women to travel. Do you remember this? I think we did this last year after I returned from the trip. Like there was part of me thinking like, this is so ridiculous because I don't want all this fear to stop people like me from fully experiencing life. You know, like there are so many things that are risky in life. And I think I actually thought about this on my trip. I'm like, let's say something awful happened to me. Would I regret that trip? You know, if I had the opportunity to regret it, depending on what happened, you know, like, would my family and friends be upset that I took this trip? And I'm kind of curious, like, as the story evolves with Gabby, like, fingers crossed, she's still alive. If they find her, is she going to regret doing this trip? You know, and what led up to this if, if she's able to tell that story? And I also felt feeling myself feeling similar things reading this story, Jason, because I started to see on TikTok today or yesterday, given that I will commonly through the algorithm see women posting about their travels, I've started to notice in the comments section, people saying, well, be careful. Did you hear what happened to Gabby? And now it's like this story has caused this ripple effect of fear where people are now fearful young women fearful about traveling and seeing the country and, you know, doing something that supposedly so much brings so much joy, they're afraid again. And I'm like, gosh, it's such a shame that these things happen, but it's also a shame that they impact people in this way. You know, it's not just about Gabby anymore. It's about like other people wondering, could I end up like Gabby? And yeah, I just have a lot of mixed feelings on it that I want to explore today. But first, Jason, I'm, I'm curious if you looked it up while I was talking and what are some of your initial reactions or questions as you hear about this? Well, I have briefly heard about the case through social media, but truth be told, I haven't gone and done any substantive research. What did come up for me, this is tangential, but I think related. Whitney, have you seen on, and I know it's been going around social media because I think I first saw this on Facebook or Instagram. And I've been trying to track down the origin of this statistic. But the statistic is that someone walks past a murderer an average of 36 times in their life, which I thought was a very eye-opening. I mean, my, my literal reaction was like the emoji of like, whoa. But it is interesting to think about how many unsolved cases there are of people going missing like Gabby, people that are murdered, bodies that are never recovered. And I think if, especially if you live in a really densely populated city, as we reside in Los Angeles, I've lived in New York City, Chicago, Detroit, that really hit home for me. It made me think, I wonder if I've lived in a neighborhood with someone who's murdered someone. I mean, surely walking down the streets of New York City, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, L.A., Chances are I've you and I have probably walked next to someone who's killed someone. So I don't know the origin of this statistic. You always have to question everything I try to on social media and take it with a grain of salt. But there is an article on leozequin.me. I found a website, Whitney, that this person tries to statistically break down the probability of if this statistic is correct. And I won't get into the math. It's actually some pretty interesting logarithmic distributions and quintiles and math. I'll, we'll link to this article at wellevator.com in our show notes. But it did make me think of, Whitney, not only in our lives, but on your travels, 
in your campgrounds, strangers you talk to. I don't know. It, I'm not bringing this up to sow the seeds of distrust, right? That when we meet a stranger on our travels thinking, wow, I wonder if they've ever killed someone. But it is interesting to consider the possibility that we've encountered those people and they may be out there. And again, I'm not bringing this up to color your experience, Whitney, or try and inject any fear. I don't know why. It just, you describing your travels and this situation with Gabby made me think of that. And I guess I'm bringing it up because as a man, as someone who identifies as male, I think back to my solo cross-country trips and how woefully unprepared I was to protect myself. I mean, I remember driving cross-country the first time I moved from Detroit to Los Angeles in interest. You know what's so interesting, Whitney? This week, like the second to third week of September, 16 years ago is exactly when I moved to Los Angeles from Detroit. And I packed up everything in my Honda Prelude. Like I had a huge garage sale at my mom's house, sold a ton of stuff. And whatever I didn't need, I left at my mom's house in Detroit. And whatever I needed, I literally stuffed to the gills in my Prelude and drove cross country. But I didn't have a gun. I didn't have bear spray. I didn't have pepper spray. I didn't have flares in case you know I was in a ditch at the side of the road. I look back on how ridiculously unprepared I was 16 years ago. And I think I would absolutely have a completely different level of preparation. And also shout out to you because you were so excited to share with me all of the gadgets and tools and accessories and things that you packed on your road trip. So I thought you were fantastically prepared. I don't know about in the defense category per se, but in all the other categories, I just props to you. I thought you did a fantastic job preparing for this. Thanks. And I mean, that's part of what's interesting about this is like, how prepared can you be? You know, and all the different thoughts that went through my head, but other people's heads. And I was like trying not to like let other people's fears get in the way. And thank goodness I didn't know about what happened to Gabby. Like considering how close that happened to when I passed through that very area, it's possible that we did cross paths, right? Like, I mean, I don't. I don't know the exact timeline, but given where she was traveling, it's possible, right? Because I think she was in Utah before she went there. And I was in Utah before I went there. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? And can you imagine what would have gone through my head had I heard the news while I was there? What would you have done? (laughs) Like, I'm curious, if you had known about that prior to going into the park, how do you think that would have colored your experience? I mean... There's part of me that's like, oh, like it would have been nice to go out and look for her, you know, or like talk to people and maybe like see if they're, I don't know, what would you do? Like, I, it'd be interesting to see what people have been doing in that park and Yellowstone and all, all the places where she was last seen or where she was going and all of that. Like, I don't know how they've been handling it. Like, is there a rescue crews going out? Like, that, that'd be interesting to look up. Grand Teton felt pretty intimate. So I I do feel like, I mean, it was, it was fairly large, but there was an intimacy that I experienced while I was there. I ended up meeting people and I ran into these people multiple times, actually, (laughs) interestingly enough. So one thing that happened that I was like really being mindful of on the very first night, I camped at an RV park. For those that don't know, I I sleep in my car on these trips because my car has like a special camp mode in it and I have a mattress in it. It's awesome. And shout out to Tess Matt, who makes this Tesla mattress memory foam. And, you know, as Jason mentioned, I have all these all this gear and like I just I felt like so excited the first night that I was there and very prepared. Right before I got to the RV park, though, I was charging my car up for the last time of the day. And these, oh no, it was two stop. It was like a stop before that. There was these, I noticed a red Tesla parked next to mine and I don't know, like somehow it just stood out to me. Have I told you this story, Jason? No, no, I don't remember you mentioning a red Tesla. No. (laughs) Okay. This this is kind of interesting to tell. So I just remembered, I think one, there was like, I later found out there was two men in the car, but one of them I noticed like kind of sleeping or something. And, you know, I'm trying to pay attention to my surroundings. So I noticed their car and 
at the next Tesla stop I went to that night and the last one of the day, they were there again. And I think I noticed that it the same car. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But that's happened before. It happened. Jason and I did a trip in 2019. Like, It's fairly common. You'll run into people if they're on the same route as you, especially like in kind of the middle of nowhere as I was. There's only so many Tesla charging stations. And if you're going to charge a certain amount, chances are the person's going to go the same distance as you to charge again. And the guy started talking to me. And I remember like feeling a bit vulnerable. You know, they're very nice. <laughs> but I had just like a week or so before my trip watched the show on Netflix called The Serpent, which is a very disturbing but interesting Netflix show. And the premise is like this guy who drugs people and awful thing. I'm not going to spoil it, but it's based on a true story. And it was like in the seventies, I think. And like the part of it was that this guy was so charming and nice and all these people trusted him. And then they ended up in really bad situations. And that movie was in my head. And so these two guys come up to me and I'm like, I, they seem really nice, but you know, apparently Ted Bundy was really nice to people and you know, look what happened there. So it kind of brings up that feeling of like, you can't trust strangers, which also sucks, right? Like it's such a sad reality, but I would rather not trust somebody and be safe than trust somebody and potentially not be safe. Right. But I talked to this, these guys a bit and I was like trying to be very nice. I was interested in who they are, but also like not trying to seem super interested. You know, I didn't want to give them the wrong idea or like get wrapped up in anything. And so that evening I went to the RV park and I slept and whatever, I kind of forgot about it. And then the next day is when I got to the Grand Teton area and there's a town, I think, I think it's a town, uh, not a city called Jackson. And actually, it was one of my favorite charging stations because it was by this incredible Whole Foods. And it was one of the best Whole Foods I've ever been to. It was just so well laid out and they had great products. And I was like, this is awesome. And there I am charging my car and these guys roll up again. And I'm like, what the hell? Like the third time I've seen them and it's a completely different day. You know, like I'm on my own schedule taking my time. How is it that they were there? And that's when I started to feel a little like nervous. I was like, okay, I haven't seen these guys all day. They have a red Tesla. It's not like they can like hide. I would have noticed their car, but it's just such an odd coincidence. And I, I started to feel uncomfortable about it. Right. And anyways, I was trying to act normal around them. And we were talking about Grand Teton and the night before we were talking about Grand Teton, I asked them which campground they were staying in just to make conversation. And they mentioned it. And it wasn't the same campground as me. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, probably not going to see these guys again. This third time outside the Whole Foods, Jason, they go, oh, by the way, we looked up at a reservation. It turns out that we're staying at the same campground as you. And I suddenly I was like, uh-oh. Like, I didn't, you know, I was like, did they like, change their plans? But then I thought, okay, the chances of them being able to book a spot at this campground are slim because I don't know if I mentioned this on earlier episodes, but it's really hard to book campgrounds at this time of year in these national parks. Like they're booked completely full. I had to literally spend weeks checking the website to try to get into the specific campground. So I'm like, all right, they're probably not lying they just seem a little scatterbrained. Like, I guess they just forgot that they're staying there, right? And they mentioned what campsite they're at. And Jason, I had to keep such a straight face because you're not going to believe it. Their campsite was literally right next to mine. Now, I didn't tell them I was where I was. I told them the campground, but I, there were like 100 campsites there. I didn't mention, I know for a fact that I went out of my way not to mention what campsite I was at. They happened to mention it. I don't know why. And I was like, are you serious? Like I've run into these guys three times and they happen to have a campground, the campsite right next to mine. Like I didn't tell them though. Cause I was like, this is starting to feel creepy. I don't think they planned this, but these are like the type of things that would happen in a movie. <laughs> you know, so 
I'm like, <gasps> and, and like the music start playing like. <laughs> Where you're like, oh shit, the music's on. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, like that movie, scary movie, the parody on on Scream and all that. Yeah, I was like, oh damn it. And then I'm thinking, okay, well maybe the campsites are really spread out and they won't notice me there, so I'm just gonna like play it cool. And so luckily, they arrived at the charging station right as I was leaving. And so I pull out of there and I'm like, great, at least we're not like in sync time wise. And I can like go into the park and like do my thing. And maybe again, like they won't notice me at the campsite and we won't run into each other again. And at this point too, they were starting to become a little flirtatious. And I was like trying to do everything I could not to like make them think that I was interested, you know, and that it's like that vulnerability. And again, again, for you, Jason, Maybe as a guy, that would seem like exciting. But for like me as a woman, I'm like, oh, like they're being flirtatious. And like, they just keep running into them. Like this is starting. I was just feeling like uncomfortable. And actually, as a result of that, one of the worst things that happened to me on my trip, the most upsetting thing that happened to me on my trip happened in that moment. And it's so silly in hindsight, but it really upset me at the time. Last year for the road trip, I got these special screen shades for my car, which Jason actually helped me with this company called, gosh, they're called Sunshades. I'm blanking on the name. I'll put them in the, the, the show notes, but they make for any car, but they have some specifically for the Tesla the, to block the window out. So the less heat gets in the car and they're really great for privacy. The downside is you have to like put them in the window in an interesting way at the Tesla. And they're kind of like awkward. So every time you open up the Tesla door, the shade will fall out and you have to like pick it up and put it back in. Well, when I was getting in my car, I opened up the door, put some things in there as I was talking to the guys and I was feeling like distracted and a little bit nervous and drove off. And I found out later on that I drove off and the sunshade was left behind there. And I was so upset about it, Jason. Like, it was the second day of my trip and I was so bummed. And that's a whole other story. I actually recorded a video on that because I was like, why am I so upset about like losing the sunshade? But it really bothered me. Again, I can get into that another time. But I was my point is I was so distracted by these guys showing up that I lost something. And I was like, Whitney, you you can't like, you have to be aware. And this is actually a, probably a good point, right? Like, maybe people become vulnerable when they're afraid and they're not able to fully pay attention or function the way that they normally would. And so in hindsight, I'm like, I got to be extra aware of what I'm doing and what I'm saying and like all of these things, because if you're not, you can easily kind of mess up and lose something or do something that you weren't planning on doing. So anyways, I go on to the park. I drive through Grand Teton. It was really great. I didn't see the guys. And then lo and behold, I'm pulling into the campground and who's directly in front of me, this car. Again, the timing was impeccable. This time I was behind them and I'm like, oh no, they're going to see me. And I was like, but I can't do anything. Like I'm in the, like a driving right behind them and they pull up to their campsite and they park, but they didn't seem to notice me. Even though, Jason, literally right next to them, there was like a few trees in between us, but you could easily see the campgrounds. And I'm like, I didn't know what to do. So I didn't say a word to them. But then I felt bad because I was like, at some point, they're going to realize that I'm there. And are they going to think that I plan to be there? Like, it, it was so awkward for me. And so finally, I'm like, well, there's only one thing I can do. I just got to go say hi but like act like I'm not interested in them. (laughs) So it was so awkward. But unfortunately, when I went over there, I think they took that, one of the guys took it as that I was interested in him, you know, because I walked over over to the campsite and like they invited me to like hang out with them. And I was like, no, I got to go to bed. I got to wake up really early, which is true. And I went back to my car, Jason, and a few minutes later, he came by and knocked on my window. What did he say? Oh, God. He was just like, because I told him how I was staying in my car. They had like a tent. 
And I was like, oh, well, I'm actually like camping in my car. And I was telling them about like my setup and he came over and he was like, hey, like I wanted to see your setup. And I was like, yeah, right. That's why you came over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. But I was on the phone. And so that was awkward. And then I was like, ah, oh, like I'm on the phone right now. Like, and then, and then he said something else, like, you know, probably like, Hey, come and hang out with us. And I was like, no, thanks. And, like, and then like, I'm sleeping the whole night, like hoping that they don't like come disturb me again, which is like, not a good feeling. But like, you know, ultimately it was an innocent story because deep down intuitively, Jason, I didn't think that they were going to do anything. Right. And that was like, when I was reading about all these stories of women talking about their experiences, the biggest takeaway was women typically have an intuitive hit. But then I started to wonder, is that true? You know, like it was like this questioning of, and, and it, that kind of goes back to this story about Gabby. It's like, did she have an intuition that something was going to happen? Like, we don't know what happened, but everybody's suspecting that it's the boyfriend. And if you read into the story, basically he went back to Florida without her in like he drove the car back there and like a week or so, maybe like two weeks went by before the story broke and he hasn't said anything. He got a lawyer and basically hasn't said a word and won't even tell her Gabby's family any details so that they can better look for her. And so like, of course, the public's all invested in the story thinking like, well, obviously he did it because why wouldn't he say anything? Like, wouldn't he want to be involved? So it's like a really heart-wrenching story to follow. And then there's like this weird part of me, which I kind of actually feel strange saying it, but she's getting so much like social media attention now. I'm like, did they like create this whole story to like blow up her social media account? But I'm really hoping that's not true because that would be awful. I don't know. I Speaking of intuition, I just have a sinking feeling that she's no longer alive, which is a very disturbing feeling to have. Yeah, this brings up a really interesting question about intuition, which is how much do you trust your intuition, Whitney? You know, in the sense that if you reflect back on situations where perhaps your intuition was giving you a signal or a nudge or some information and you chose to ignore it, only maybe to find later you're like, ah, that was right. My intuition was right on. But in the context of what we're talking about, which is you, single female solo traveler going cross country with your dog, you know, it's almost like I think I think we asked this question to Amber Fortier of Embody Me on her episode. I think I, I recall remember asking her, what is the difference between intuition and trauma, past trauma, right? So I'm curious with like... Do you feel like you have a really good relationship with trusting your intuition in general? Or is it something that sometimes you still question, depending on the context? It's an interesting thing to answer because I don't feel like I know. Like, I feel a little out of touch. Like, it's like I have a deep knowing and a deep trust but a surface level insecurity or something, if that makes sense. Like going back to those guys deep down, I did, I felt like they were harmless and I felt like they were just nice guys. Right. But on a surface level, I was like, but what if they're not nice? What if they're going to like do something weird in the middle of the night? You know, like what if they put a tracker on my car that actually didn't occur to me, but it's like, how is this all happening? Like, this is too much of a coincidence. Like, you know what I mean? And like, then I start to hear the voices of other people. And I think this is where the struggle is of like, what would somebody else think? You know? Yeah. It was um, in that particular case, interesting versus another time when I was in Glacier National Park, I ran into this guy and we started talking. It was so nice, but like, over time, as the conversation evolved, I was like, oh, this guy might be starting to be interested in me. Like, and, you know, he invited me to like, come have a drink with him. And I'm like, oh, there's the signal. Like, he's probably hitting on me. You know what I mean? But I never had an intuitive hit beyond that. It was just like, this guy's probably putting the feelers out. I could have been wrong about that too. But like, that was just my, in my experience. But I, compared to the other guys, I never had a red flag. Right. But there's so many different circumstances, because if I look at those guys in hindsight, like was because there was two of them. 
Was it because I saw them multiple times? Was it because like there were too many coincidences versus the other guy? Like he was by himself and like we met so randomly and we just started talking, you know, like, I don't know. Then there was another time, Jason, where definitely my intuition got thrown off. The very last place I camped was in Wisconsin on like the border of Illinois at this really cool farm. I found it on this website called Hip Camp, which a lot of people don't know about. I highly recommend looking into it. Leanne and I, I don't know if Leanne told me about it. I think I had already known about it, but Leanne was a big advocate for it because she had used it once before last year. And so we used it a few times on our trip. And we had a similar experience where like we went somewhere and I remember thinking, hmm, like (laughs) I feel really vulnerable here. And we're at some random person's listing, you know, because it's like an Airbnb. And then this place this year, a few weeks ago in Wisconsin, I remember like getting there and just feeling vulnerable because it was a private property. So there was no one there to like versus the campgrounds, which are run by professionals, you know, like this is just some random person who listed it on a website. You know what I mean? And I remember feeling like, hmm, I guess it feels a little risky, but she had really good reviews and she's on this verified website. So I hope that they do their research and like, you know, you start to go through in your head and then tune into your intuition. And I told myself before I got there that I would like feel it out and see if I felt any red flags. And I didn't. But then I got on the phone with my family to check in with them. And my family was like, oh, what if she's some crazy woman who's going to come out and do something nuts to you while you're sleeping? You know, and like they start like kind of laughing about it. But like I could tell they were also like kind of serious about it. And so in my head, I'm like, great. Like here I was feeling all safe from my intuition, but somebody else is coming along, like telling me to be afraid of something that I wasn't afraid of. And what's interesting and a book that I wanted to reference that I was listening to on the road trip is called The Culture of Fear, Why Americans Are Afraid of the Wrong Things. And the book goes through all these different examples of how Americans get kind of hooked on stories, especially from the media, that don't necessarily have much basis in reality or are really rare things, but are positioned by the media as if they're more common than they actually are. And it was such an enlightening book to listen to because it helped me understand why I might be afraid, but why others are afraid too. You know, like I think that was the book that was talking about airplanes versus car and how like the media will tell all these stories about plane crashes when they're actually very rare and car crashes happen much more frequently. But yet we are generally much more afraid of flying than we are driving. Right. And it's also like the if it bleeds, it leads stuff. And that's why when I heard about the Gabby Patino story, I was like, Why is the media sharing this? And also, why are people so interested and invested in this story? I believe it was also in that book that was talking about the cases of John Benet Ramsey and Casey Anthony, right? I remember when the Casey Anthony story was going on, I was glued to it. I could not get enough of it. I felt the same way around 9-11, although that was a little different because I feel like there was like deep, deep trauma that the whole world was experiencing. So it was like I was trying to work through my trauma by immersing myself in the stories versus the Casey Anthony story. I didn't feel that connected to as a person, but like I was so deeply fascinated by it, you know, and I just wanted to know what was going to happen. And I'm seeing a similar reaction right now with Gabby's story. Like I am just constantly seeing people post about Gabby and all these people like speculating about it and sharing the details. And like in the comments, they're like so obsessed, you know, like people want to solve the case or predict what's going to happen or like be upset about it and tell other people to be afraid. And it's like, we all get caught up in these stories, which in a way is just very disturbing. You know what I mean? And so this book about the culture of fear is basically like tapping into like the psychological elements of it, but also like how news programs and the media and the government 
tend to benefit from us being so fearful. So are we being manipulated and are stories like this being overblown in order to keep us in a state of fear? Well, isn't that an interesting parallel to the entire COVID situation? Because depending on what you believe, some people purport that the statistics are overblown based on how they are tracking COVID cases or how COVID cases are being reported from hospitals, caregivers to the CDC. I saw an interesting article earlier today comparing the daily death rates of heart disease, heart attacks, and cancer versus COVID. And I want to go on record to say I'm not a COVID denier, so you can hold off on those messages, whoever who's ever listening. But it is interesting as a parallel, Whitney, to what you're talking about, how there is a cultural epidemic of fear around plane crashes, yet statistically, people die at a much higher clip in their automobiles. Well, similarly, and the reason I'm saying this is people die at a much higher rate of heart disease and cancer in this country, as opposed to the current, at the time of this recording, recorded COVID deaths. Yet, what is going on in the media? The media is going absolutely fucking bonkers for COVID, because to your point, if it bleeds, it leads. Terror, fear, division is really what's fueling the media now, right? Well, if they really wanted to, you know, inspire fear in people, they'd be talking a lot more about heart disease and cancer and what may or may not cause it. But they're not talking about that. You know, one of the things is like, hey, there's this thing. And I want to go on record. Yes, I believe COVID is real and it's a serious thing. But if they really wanted to, quote, save lives, they would also be talking about how to prevent heart disease, how to eat better, moving your body, positive thinking, meditation, healing your relationships. But that doesn't make front page news. Front page news is, ah, this this virus, it's going to kill everyone. It's like, no, actually, heart disease and cancer are fucking killing everyone if you want to statistically be correct about it. So it is interesting you bring that up, Whitney, because I just feel like the COVID situation right now is, a, in my mind, a perfect parallel to what you're describing. Yeah, I mean, it's important for us to remember that We can't trust everything that we see on the news, unfortunately. And I think a lot of people use the news as their main source of information. Another book I listened to on my road trip was called The Death of Expertise, I think. And it's a really interesting in-depth book about how we perceive experts and who we believe, who we don't believe, how many people think that they're experts when they're not. You know, we've talked about this at length on the show which is part of the reason I read it. It's really great. And it leads me to this mindset of feeling like, wow, we're just in a time of major confusion. Like we have so many people claiming to be experts. We have so many avenues in which people can share their information and their opinions and on and on. And so it's like, who do you trust and what do you believe? And does that lead us to a place where we're feeling better or worse about things? You know, I found a quote from the culture of fear. And the writer said that disproportionate coverage in the news media has effects. And a professor at Hunter College actually did some interviews of women in New York City about their fears of crime. And women would often say, I saw it in the news. And the interviewees identified the news media as both the source of the fear and the reason they believe the fear. And when they were asked about why they believe the country is a serious crime problem. This was a different study, but uh, this big poll said that 76% of people cited stories they had seen in the media and only 22% cited personal experience. And this is part of my point is it's like, I had this experience driving cross country by myself as a woman and I have been fine. I've done it twice now, completely by myself. I'm going to do it a third time on my way home. You know, I've done it with other people, including you, Jason. Like I've had really good experiences traveling and going to national parks. If I hadn't had those experiences and just paid attention to the news coverage about Gabby right now, I would probably believe that it was incredibly unsafe. But I have been to several, if not many of the places that Gabby traveled and felt safe there. Now, granted, my story of those two guys, like aside, I didn't feel this big sense of unsafe. I felt this this 
heightened sense of awareness because of them, right? But it wasn't that deep, like you were saying, intuitive hit. I haven't even had a close call with an accident, knock on wood. Like all these trips I've had have gone so well. And also to your point, Jason, I've been prepared. You know, I, on this trip, I became even more prepared. I brought a special tire repair kit just in case I got a nail in my tire or whatever. Last year I had some issues with my car. And so I was like a little bit more aware. I, I got new tires put on. Like I, I went through like this whole checklist. I read all these articles. I vetted out every place that I stayed. Like I did feel very prepared. And each time I do this trip, I become more experienced and more aware. And I think that does help. But we talked about, maybe it was that same episode, Jason, there was that horrible story. I think the woman was in like London or somewhere in the UK who had been murdered, which is a word I feel uncomfortable saying, but that's the truth. And sadly, I forget her name. But we brought up the story because it was this example of women feeling unsafe and women often being blamed for not being prepared enough, right? Like women are often said, well, where were you? And, you know, did you put yourself in that position and what were you wearing and all? But I think in that case, the story was interesting because like she wasn't in an unsafe situation, if I remember correctly. Is that right, Jason? Yeah, it was Sarah Everard and she was walking home from work and was murdered by a uh, British police officer. Right. Yeah. And it's like, I think that story was bringing up this idea of like, it can happen anywhere at any time. But then again, does that make us feel even more safe? It's like, I'll never be prepared enough. And I I think that was also what came up for me on this trip is I knew that I was doing the best that I could. And I also knew that I was doing that trip to be present and experience joy and see new places. And like, you know, it was risky even just walking around Montana because of bears. You know what I mean? Like, sure, I had the bear spray, but that doesn't mean that I was fully protected. Like, there were plenty of things that could have gone wrong on that trip. And I I guess if I got so focused on them, I wouldn't have done it. The other thing that kept coming up in this Gabby Patino story, Jason, and, and I hope I, I'm saying her last name right. Do you think I am? Patino? P-E? Or Petito. It's not Patino, Petito, right? T-I-T-O. Um, I had a feeling I was saying her name wrong. The other thing that came up is people are like, well, <laughs> like it was actually kind of funny. One woman was like, well, glad I'm single. <laughs> can't trust men. You know, like I can't even trust my boyfriend. This just gives me more motivation to stay single. And I'm like, see, you could see it. Like maybe I was more safe traveling by myself. And I guess you could justify that too. Like, who knows what the person next to you is going to do? How well do you know the person you're traveling with? I mean, this is the thing. It's, I guess my big point is I'm, it's really sad. And I have my fingers crossed that there's some miraculous positive outcome for Gabby and she's found safe and there's an explanation for it. And I also hope that myself and others don't get too afraid when they hear these stories. Like you stay prepared, you tune into your intuition, you bring some protective measures with you, like you make the best choices you can. But I think as we concluded the last time we dug into this, Jason, like there's only so much that we can do to protect ourselves from life. And if we have the choice between doing something like a great road trip Versus staying home just to be on the safe side. Like personally, obviously I'm choosing the road trip because that's what brings me joy. And there are plenty of things looking back that maybe I did that could have put me in a compromised situation, but I didn't think they were at the time. And so I was just doing the best I could. And I'm glad that I did it. And hopefully I say the same thing when I drive back to LA. I think in life, there's a certain amount of psychological compartmentalization that we do regarding risk, don't you think? And and we've talked about risk versus reward in a previous episode. We'll link to that episode also at our website, wellevator.com in the show notes for this episode. And again, not to be morose about it, but there's a, a CBS news article. <laughs> do we trust it? We don't know. But the statistics they have, and this is an old article. I couldn't find a more recent one. CBS News said one person commits suicide every 40 seconds 
one person is murdered every 60 seconds, and one person dies in armed conflict every 100 seconds, the World Health Organization reports. You could think about that, and you could feel afraid, terrified, wow, someone commits suicide every 40 seconds, someone gets murdered every 60 seconds on the planet. Well, someone's also being born right now, right? Like in this literal moment, someone is dying in this literal moment that we are recording. Someone is getting murdered in this literal moment. Someone is being born. I mean, it's to say preparation, awareness, practicing the trusting of one's intuition and being mindful, all important things. But it really brings up, I think, an existential conversation about the fact that we will die someday. Do we know how we're going to die? Absolutely not. I mean... I think if you sink too deep into that, it can freak you the fuck out. But I also think that most of the time of our day, whether I'm on a walk with my dog in my neighborhood, I don't live in the greatest neighborhood in LA, God bless it. It's not the best ever. You know, something could happen to me on my walk with my dog. Something could happen to you while you're driving your car. We just don't know. So I think even though we know death is happening in the planet right now and again and again and over and over, it's, I think that somehow our brains have adapted to be aware of that. Like we know that that's happening, Whitney, but we compartmentalize it in a certain way, I think, psychologically to function. Because if we ruminate on like, wow, someone's dying right now, someone's getting murdered in another hundred seconds, someone is dying in an armed conflict. Like we wouldn't even be able to do anything if we succumb to that terror and that fear. So it's like, all right, we know we're going to pass. We don't know how death is a part of life. But how do we function and live a good life being aware of our impending mortality and the fact that we have no idea how we're going to die? I don't know. Some, some days I feel like I'm better able to manage that stark, cold reality better than others. You know, some, some days I really ruminate on my death. I do. Maybe too much. But then other days I'm like, yeah, I'm going to die. I need to go get bread. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And I... I think each each person has to really tune in and explore it for themselves, you know, and question things. I think that's really the the big thing that we keep coming back to is one of the reasons I enjoy reading so much, especially nonfiction, is gathering information and looking at different perspectives. And this perspective of like, don't trust everything that you see in the media is an incredibly important one. Even the news, you know, cross check your sources. One of the books I read was was referencing that tidbit of like, it's actually really helpful for us to read things and watch things that go against our beliefs because it shows us a different viewpoint, you know? So maybe it's helpful to have people concerned about my safety when I'm traveling. And what's interesting too is right before I went on this trip, there was a, a case of two women who were killed in Utah. Uh, while camping. And so I had this friend reach out to me and she was like, are you going to be okay? Do you have something protective? Like, and I had that story in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, are people going to target me because I'm traveling by myself in a Tesla from California? Like, are people going to judge me for, you know, like it's all these what if, what if, what ifs things. And that story, if you look into it is I feel like something, someone was really targeted for their lifestyle or their, not even their lifestyle. I'm not going to get into the detail of that story, but from my perspective, it felt like those women, it was like a hate crime. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's like, again, what am I going to do to protect myself and worry about all these what ifs and become paralyzed with fear? I did look up the timeline though, which is kind of fascinating. The last time that Gabby's mother heard from her, they spoke on the phone on August 25th while she was near Grand Teton. And I got to Grand Teton on the 29th. So it's like, you know, who knows? And what's also interesting about that is the mother said that she wasn't getting responses from her and she believed that she was in a place with no service, which was true. And I actually planned out my trip knowing that there was going to be places that I wasn't going to have cell phone service. And one protective measure I took was I turned on location tracking. I sent that to you, Jason, and my parents, my sister, some other close people in my life and said, like, anytime you need to, you can go see on the map where I'm at or where I last was. And I would check in with people each night to let them know I got to places safely and check in the next morning, <laughs> let them know I woke up. But there was one time, I think it was when I got to Glacier that my mom texted me 
And she called me as well. She was really concerned. She's like, I haven't been able to reach you all day. And I was offline for several days. I barely, I might've had service like a few short, brief moments throughout those few days. And it did kind of feel vulnerable and frustrating at times, but it was also really relieving, you know? And that's what I mean. Like the two sides of the story, there was one side where like, do you feel scared and vulnerable when you can't reach people and they can't reach you? Yeah. But on the same side, Jason, it felt really nice to not be reachable. And it felt really nice to not be able to watch TV or scroll through social media or check my email. I couldn't do anything. Literally, I just like got tired and went to bed. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't doing my usual screen time and communication and seeing what other people were doing. And I, I didn't use TikTok for a week, which is like a lot for me. And I remember thinking either today or yesterday, scrolling through TikTok, I was like, gosh, remember what it was like when I couldn't do this and how I felt perfectly fine being disconnected. And now here I am going through social media, reading about Gabby and all these other horrible things. Like, is that good for my mental health? And on one side, it feels nice to know what's going on in the world. But on the other side, you wonder, do you actually need to know what's going on in the world? I guess that's that's the ultimate question at the end of this episode is how much do you really need to know? How much of that information that you do know is even real or just used to manipulate you? So... That's food for thought for you. Fingers crossed, you know, here we are from the past speaking to the future, given that this episode comes out in like three weeks, three or four weeks. I am holding out a lot of hope that Gabby makes it home and is found safe and that there's some explanation for what happened there. And that will remain to be seen. And, you know, if it feels... Like it makes sense. We'll bring it up in another episode, but there's only so much we can do, right? Like, let's say all of that was happening when I was there at the same time. I didn't know that it was happening. I guess that's part of it too, Jason. You know, here we are weeks later and I hear about something that corresponded with where I was, but I didn't know about it. So I couldn't do anything about it. And maybe that's part of the lesson. It's like, does that, I mean, I have so much sympathy and compassion and I feel helpless and sad that these things happen in the world. But like at the same time, in that present moment of not even knowing that it's happening, like allowed me to have that like ignorance is bliss experience, you know? And I don't say that from like a selfish perspective, but I guess it's just almost like a metaphor for there's, to your point, Jason, horrific things happening right now as we're talking about that we'll never know about because they're not shared in the media. There's sadness, there's horrific crimes and you know just awful things happening all the time. But we do not have the capacity to know about all of those awful things because we could not possibly function. This is why we talked about compassion fade and compassion fatigue months ago because we are not equipped to handle all of the sadness. But we seem to have an immense capacity for happiness and bliss. And perhaps that's why ignorance is an important thing in our life. So it's not an easy answer or experience. It's just something that happens, I guess, you know? Well, with that, we are always curious to hear from you, dear listener, your thoughts about intuition, your thoughts about the state of the world, whether you trust what you see in the media how media feeds into any kind of fear responses we have. And we always like to hear what your thoughts are as you reflect on these episodes with Whitney and myself. So you can always email us. It's hello at wellevator.com. Whitney and I get your emails. And I'm a little behind on emails right now, to be quite honest. That's on my to-do list for the morning. <laughs> but if you do email us, I will get to you and we will get back to you. You can always shoot us a DM. We are also at wellevator.com. That's where you'll find the transcript and the show notes for this episode, including all of the articles, books, and things that we mentioned to you. Again, it's W-E-L-L. EVATR.com. Hello at wellevator.com is our email, and at wellevator is our handle on all of the social media platforms. With that said, I think it's about dinner time. There's a lot of babies that need to get fed. I skipped lunch today. This is where Whitney shakes her head and she goes, Again, he skipped lunch again. I'm notorious for doing it. Got to get better at it. It's on my to do list of things to get better at in life. 
So until next time, Whitney, I'm glad you are safe and sound and with your family. It's great to see you again in your cozy cabin podcast space. And we'll be back with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. We love you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 